views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Getting close to the holiday season, I'm I'm starting to. I would say I'm be like I'm starting to smell the snow and all that stuff. But I live in Miami. It is 80 degrees outside, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Joined by my co-host this week, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? Hey, how are you? I'm doing so so well. Well, at least I was. Let Uh-oh. me explain. All right, let me, let me walk you through this. All right, last couple weeks, I've actually been feeling pretty good about the world. Getting, <laughs> you know, working on some cool cases. Uh, love the work I'm doing right now. Doing some great entertainment stuff. A lot of my entertainment clients are getting some nice wins at the end of the year. Really puts a smile on my face. The holidays are coming up. You get holiday more... music everywhere. I mean, oh, how could yeah, you be no, in a this, bad mood? Mariah Carey's gonna take over the next three months. And, or three weeks, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And so I have a lot to be happy about, except someone came after my girl, Lauren. Someone came after my dear, sweet goddess of the music industry, the the voice of our generation since she was 13 years old, getting her first songwriting deal, taking over the industry, advocate for indie creators, big, big star, Someone came after my Taylor Swift, Lauren. Hey, Tay. And I am, I am outraged. I am flabbergasted. I need my thesaurus to find out a third thing that I am. I am so mad. What did they do? Like, who would go after her? You know, you know, you know, that's a good question. Who would come after her? Who would dare come Haters. after her? I mean, maybe Kanye West would. But other than that, <laughs> no one should be coming after her. She is a... She's nothing but goodness upon this world. Okay, just do tell. What happened? So- okay. Well, before I talk about what happened and why I'm just hopping mad that someone yeah, came after my girl. Yeah, you seem super upset. do want to mention that our guest coming up in the next <laughs> segment, who I am very happy to hear from, entertainment lawyer Raina Seagal is joining us from Seagal Law PC. Fantastic California entertainment lawyer. Real great advocate for the indie creators. Going to talk to her about what are some of the legal issues that artists should uh, take tackle when uh, starting up in their career, when they should be talking to entertainment lawyers. She works with indie creators all the time across various forms of media. So she's the one we want to talk to right now. It sounds like that'll be a nice cleansing of the palate as soon as you get past whatever is making you so mad. And I I bet she's got some views on what's happening to my dear, sweet Taylor Swift, because Lauren, our girl's in a bit of legal trouble. Okay. She's she's uh, she's run afoul of John Law, so to speak. So let me let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you why I am just livid that somebody okay. would come after this dear dear sweet songstress. Okay, on December 9th, a federal judge in California ruled that Taylor Swift must face a jury trial for copyright infringement over acts over I know 
cop, can you imagine somebody the person who's been writing their own music since they were 13 is being accused of stealing music okay okay so you're with me on this yeah uh, accused of copyright infringement because they, they're, they're of her accusations that she stole the lyrics of her 2014 hit song, Shake It Off, as if that original piece of brilliance could possibly have come from somewhere else. Uh, but the, the accusations are that she stole some of those lyrics from another song. And so she uh, when this accusation came out, Taylor Swift's group tried to apply for summary judgment, which in non-legal speak is a motion to make this case go away before it ever goes to trial. Because this is just so ridiculous. And you would think that all you would have to do is just put a piece of paper in front of the judge going, I'm Taylor Swift. And that's enough for the judge just to dismiss next case. But this this judge, Michael W. Fitzgerald, held that Swift's number one hit had enough legal similarities to the 2001 3LW song Play Is Gonna Play that they would are going to need a jury to determine whether these similarities constitute copyright infringement. Now. Let me say, in in defense of Judge Michael W. Fitzgerald, because I don't want to get all those Swifties like coming after him or whatever. I think deep down inside Judge Fitzgerald, he's kind of a Swifty too. He doesn't want com- somebody coming after his girl because this isn't the first time he's seen this case. He actually ruled on this case a couple years ago and said, "No, this isn't copyright infringement. Taylor Swift could not possibly commit copyright infringement." And then it got appealed to the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit made him review it again, and so his hands were tied. He's like, fine, you know, I, I don't want to do this, Taylor, but we have to let a jury handle this. I can't grant summary what judgment. What changed? Uh, I mean, you know, the Ninth Circuit came in and said that they had to evaluate the standard. But I know a lot of people you are wondering, like, how, what lyrics what were similar? Yeah. How, like, sure, like, like, did she just copy, like, whole paragraphs of this old 2001 song? Well— I'm going to show you. All right, I, I, uh, this is a new feature in StreamYard. I'm excited for this. All right, I'm actually going to put up a graphic of both lyrics side by side, so you can see this quote-unquote infringement that occurred. Here we go. Okay. So this is not going to do much for the radio audience, but so if you look to the play left, is gonna play. Those are those are the Taylor Swift lyrics on the left. Those on beautiful, the left. Okay. Golden pieces of perfect prose. Um, <laughs> is on. Sorry, is on the right. And then the uh, the 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 original 2001 3LW lyrics are on the left. And Taylor Swift's lyrics go, oh, beautiful lyrics, because the play the is going to play, 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 and the haters going to hate, 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 hate. And baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake it off, shake it off. And the play is lyrics say, play is they going to play, and haters they going to hate, ballers they going to ball, shot callers they going to call. And what I have just said to you, Lauren, what I have just read to you is the only possible similarity between these two songs. The rest of the lyrics, completely different. But just because one song references play as playing and haters hate, hating, hating, Taylor Swift now has to go before a copyright jury. Now, is it too cliche to say they're being haters? <laughs> And that perhaps Taylor Swift like needs to hating? shake them off. Well, I, I'm thinking that they're haters and they're going to hate. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of hard mean, to avoid that one, right? I mean, it's, it's right there for you. I completely understand. And now, lest you think that my outrage is unique amongst the legal profession, I assure you I'm not the only entertainment lawyer who thinks this is patently absurd. All right. And we actually, I, I I brought receipts here. Here's a quote from entertainment lawyer veteran Donald Zakarin who wrote, I think it's a bad outcome and one 
that is pushing something to trial that should not go there based on well-established precedent. We also have here from Professor Joseph Fishman of Vanderbilt Law, the court could have said that for such a short lyrical snippet, you have to show more similarity than just players playing and haters hating, that you need to show the whole context surrounding those phrases is similar as well. That makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, that, um, you know, just because you are grabbing individual words that are, by the way, pretty common slang. I'm, I'm guessing I could find a hundred songs that reference players playing and haters hating. And you're telling me they all owe money to whoever wrote that 3LW song? And I Get guess right that's what her here. attorneys are going to be doing, apparently. right? <laughs> like, I mean, whoever wrote that 3LW song apparently is going to be rich because, like, there's a hundred songs that they're going to be able to sue for copyright infringement because of this completely <laughs> absurd, preposterous lawsuit. Do the melodies match for those lines? No. Or is it just... This just is lyrics. just lyrics. Okay. This is just lyrics. No melodic similarities. No, nothing like that. These like this whole case is this song talks about players playing and haters hating. This song talks about players playing and haters hating. And so now we have to take this to a jury trial. Okay. Now, is it possibly going to a trial and being appealed because she refuses to settle out of precedent? Because I assume maybe they were trying to just get a happy settlement out of, you know, the Taylor Swifts of the world and move on with their day. And uh, that's not happening. So there's got to be a reason that's not happening. Well, there's a few different routes to take here. I mean, I, I think generally what you tend to see in, in instances of copyright infringement uh, where, where one artist is accused of appropriating another artist's work, even if it's just a small element, what you see happen more often is what happened in that Olivia Rodrigo case that we talked about in a previous episode, where you just add them as co-writers on the song. They get royalties as a co-writer, and then you, you know, and that's the settlement, and then you, you move don't have on to go with to your law, day. Right? Yeah. And, you know, that's what a lot, of, a lot of artists are doing these days because nobody wants to be the next Robin Thick blurred lines case where you're owing millions of dollars, right? So it's right. just easier to settle. I'm guessing that Taylor Swift's lawyers thought. Even in this new climate where you just settle everything because you don't want to go to court, they thought that this case was just so ridiculous. They're like, all right, Taylor, we can take this one to court. Like, we can we can get this dismissed on summary judgment. Well, and she's and always kind are. of stood up for the indie artists and the people who are creators. And in some ways, settling out would set a precedent for those people that anybody can just uh, sue them for their work or any of them could sue anyone really and uh you know standing up for what she believes in isn't new for her but uh standing up for what she believes in is probably just as important and she can afford to take this to court whereas a lot of people can't yep and this is why i adore taylor because she's a fighter because <laughs> she's a fighter yeah, and you know, I mean she, exactly that. They're does. coming after her, and she's she's holding her head up high and going, "That's fine. I'll take you to court. We can have this discussion, and I will stand by what I wrote." And if I had to hazard a guess, even though there are few things in this world less predictable, less predictable than a mm. copyright jury, like and I juries, would, right? I, I would sooner be able to predict the next Powerball numbers five times in a <laughs> row than tell you what a copyright jury is going to do in any particular case. That being said, if I were to pick a case where I feel like a jury is going to, you know, give the uh, later songwriter, the Taylor Swift, a victory, it's case with these facts. So I'm not— Has that been done—sorry to 
you know, has in all of these crazy jurors are unpredictable. And when you play something enough, they start to hear anything you want them to hear. Um, <laughs> have any of the judgments gone in favor of the famous artist, as it were, the more yes. popular of them? Yes. And part of the problem is that this is kind of a, a popularity contest, right? Right. Um, Robin Thicke lost against a jury, whereas Led Zeppelin and Stairway to Heaven won against a copy a copyright oh, okay. jury. And the two lawsuits were pretty similar in terms of how similar the songs were. In fact, I would even say that these Led Zeppelin case, the songs were more similar than the Blurred Lines case. But part of what's happening there is a popularity contest. Everybody okay. loves Red Led Zeppelin. And Robin Thicke, kind of a more polarizing figure. You know, a lot of people don't like uh, how his marriage ended and everything like that. And that does not seem to be a And it goes a great totally way. personal. Like, why yeah. does his marriage have anything to do with his writing? But, you know. And that's what happens when you leave things in the hands of a copyright jury. Who, so as they're going to, like, stack the jury with a bunch of uh, Taylor haters. And, oh, my God, um, yeah. It's just it's going to be a like, jury. Like, who hates her music, you know? It's, it's, it's going to be 12 Kanye Wests just sitting there <laughs> uh, ready to throw the book at this poor woman. Oh, so. No. But look, as as much as I uh, am upset about this because somebody's coming after my girl, Lauren, yeah. um, I'm in reality, I'm more concerned about cases like this, not because I'm worried about Taylor Swift. Even if the sky falls down on her in this case, she's going to be able to pay whatever the craziest copyright jury throws at her. Who I'm really concerned about are folks like my clients, are folks like young songwriters who are up and coming. Right. who now have to look over their shoulder every time a case like this comes down and are now going to be afraid that every time they write a song and they include any piece of familiar slang in it, did I get that slang from a song that was in my subconscious 20 years ago and I have five words that are similar and now I'm going to get sued? And yeah, I might win that lawsuit and Taylor Swift might win that lawsuit, but for many early career indie artists who don't have a lot of money, Bankrupt just getting sued is enough of a problem now and, yeah do you think it's a publicity ploy on the ha behalf of the people whose names i can't remember and probably for good reason because they don't deserve to be remembered as much as taylor right now um <laughs> if, we're like, look, if we're talking about three but is it a publicity but still but they're no taylor swift they're no taylor swift. i'm just stating in this case you know even though they happen to be one of the uh you know people involved i uh i'm not going to give them the publicity they're trying to get right now but do you think it's a publicity ploy no, I think it's a financial ploy. It is okay, well, like it is like look, this song, you know, I'm guessing that this song that that 3LW put out play is going to play probably isn't making a ton in streaming royalties right now. Right. And they probably looked at cases like the Blurred Lines case. They looked at what was happening with Olivia Rodrigo where she just gave half of Paramore songwriting credit on Good for You and they were thinking this is a meal ticket. Like, either we're going to get a quick settlement out of this, or we're going to get listed as co-writers on Shake It Off right when she's about to uh, re-release 1989 Taylor's version. Right. And and that musical composition is worth a lot of money. So this is but a But it's also them all move. listening to when they hear this case and they hear about this case, they're going to be playing through both. Those they're not getting a lot of streams right now are going to be getting more streams. People are going to be listening to it to hear it. And... uh 
you know, that's why I, I claim publicity ploy. It's like whether or not if you win bonus payday and if you don't win, hey, I got more streamers and people remember me, even though they haven't remembered me in a while. Yeah. You know, it, it's a win win for them, kind of. Well, I am with you on, I am guessing that Play is Gonna Play by 3LW is currently being streamed more than it has in at least 15 years. Right. I know I streamed it on my phone a couple times today in preparation to for hear this it, discussion. Right. Just to hear it, um, and, and But again, I'm not as worried about Taylor Swift. It's never fun to get sued, but I'm sure my girl can handle it because she's rock solid, baby. You think she's like, yeah, because... She likes fighting for the people who can't fight for themselves. And if nobody challenges her and her lyrics, she doesn't get to stand up for all of the cases that she sees this stuff happening, but she can't yeah. necessarily do anything about it. And this is kind of a chance for her to do something about it because she's in the middle of it. I, and I, I hope that she takes a stand on this because, look, here's here's, here's really my concern as an entertainment lawyer who represents indie creators. And it's right. not going to sound really sexy, but it really does matter. Like, I know as soon as I say this word, like half my audience is going to fall asleep. But what this really comes down to is insurance. Mm. So what most what, what I'm recommending a lot of my artists getting, the ones that especially are putting out music now, is as a matter of course, you need to get what's called errors and omissions insurance, which is known as E&O insurance. I see Rena nodding her head in the green room. Like there. writing this down. What is yeah. this called? Oh, no. E&O? Oh, no, no. She, she's not writing anything down. She is, no, that's me. I've never oh, heard of this because I don't I know. Say, I, I know Rena is all about the E&O insurance. But here's the thing. The more cases like this happen where instead of them being dispatched on summary judgment, they get driven to trial despite being stupid and frivolous. The more that that drives up E&O insurance rates, the more that drives up premiums, because now uh, those insurance companies, which are going to defend you in a lawsuit, know that it's a much more expensive proposition mm. to defend a lawsuit that could potentially go to trial as opposed to just getting uh, taken care of in pre-trial motions. So now many indie artists who already have trouble affording E&O insurance are now going to see much higher rates, and they're going to get higher every time one of these stupid lawsuits makes it past the you gotta be kidding me pre-trial stage i didn't even think about that piece of it yeah i was well, like i thought you were saying insurance. like it's recommend boring. no i thought you were gonna <laughs> say like i recommend insurance to all of you in case this happens but you're actually saying that you know i recommend it either way but now the rates are going up because of be all these expensive. things and now it's like right i recommend you get it and it's gonna cost you more right that's not fun at all and, and here's kind of like and, and like you know look i respect copyright law you know i I studied it. It's it's the field that I, I spend the most time in. I've published works in copyright. Like, I, I'm a huge fan of copyright law, and I want us to have good copyright law, and, mm -hmm. I want, and I want creators to be able to have their works protected. But you need to understand, viewers and listeners, that when it comes to copyright law, if our goal is to create the most art possible, then having too much copyright law and enforcing copyright law too strongly can be just as dangerous as having no copyright law at all. You know, because if every if all these new indie creators are afraid of becoming the next Robin Thicke or the next Olivia Rodrigo or the next Taylor Swift in terms of getting in hot water, it's going to chill creativity. They're going to be afraid of creating works in the first place or they're going to have to pay, you know, more money up front to get E&O insurance and to settle lawsuits and to pay lawyers instead of that money going towards content creation. Now and for a lot of indie creators, and this is a really important point here, mm -hmm. is 
you know, all, all creators are not a monolith when it comes to copyright law. You'll you'll see a lot of organizations that are like the uh, the Association of Musicians, the American Federation of Musicians, supports stricter copyright law. Not all musicians benefit from stricter copyright law. In fact, most indie creators would probably be better off in a world where copyright law was less strictly enforced because mm. indie creators, when you're early in your career, you mess, you make less money off of your copyrights, the things that you own, than you do your labor, you know, the actual performances you do. And mm. so if you are constantly facing overly aggressive copyright law and overly litigious litigants, as you're trying to get your career off the ground, it can really create problems for you. So yeah, I'm upset about what's happening to my girl Taylor Swift, make no mistake. But what I'm really concerned about are indie creators because this sucks for them because those are the people that get hurt, not Taylor Swift. You can't hurt Taylor Swift. <laughs> I want to get to the point again. where you can't totally hurt me and be like, me. yes, that. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the world of social media, like, no, no offense to the attorneys in the room, um, but I don't understand why a lot of this goes to the legal system and the court system i mean i guess there's a lot of money in it but you know friendly musician to musician stuff i know in the theater we've got a bond with people like we don't attempt to take down the other people in our industry like we're building off of them we're partnering with them we're working with them like why wouldn't you reach out to these people and say hey I had lyrics similar to yours. I would really appreciate it if you gave me a shout out because a shout out from Taylor Swift would be uh, helpful to us. And I like to do this thing. And she's a fan of things. And if artists were fans of other artists and could do that kind of a thing, that to me seems significantly more beneficial than like, raw. I'm going to make an enemy of the Taylor Swifts of the world. Like, is that really your goal? So I don't know if you saw it in the green room, Lauren, but Rena just did the uh, <laughs> the, the cash money, money thing, sign, <laughs> the money sign with her hands, because that ultimately it's is all what about it comes down money. to. Well, yep. well, 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 here's another way of looking at it, Lauren, because actually what you're describing does happen in a lot of cases. Most okay. most uh, accusations of, you know, similarity in music tend to get brushed off and cast aside without trial. Sometimes, like, for example, Taylor Swift. A lot of with, with respect to Taylor Swift, because she's so wonderful, a lot of Taylor Swift fans love to make YouTube cover videos of Taylor Swift songs, right. you know, where it's just them in their bedroom playing Teardrops on My Guitar, Tim McGraw, one of those songs. Every time somebody does that, that's copyright infringement. Does Taylor Swift take them to court? Take them all no. Down. She retweets their videos and says, look how great my fans are. She doesn't want to villainize you. her fans, right? Right. Here's what's here's what's causing more of these to happen, Lauren, is because, yeah, generally artists work stuff out. What we're seeing more and more, though, is it a lot of times it's songs where the person who originally wrote the song has passed away. And mm. now the song belongs to their heirs who don't who did not write the song, who do not have that talent. Or what you're seeing a lot more now is that music's getting securitized, where artists mm. are packaging their music as like a big royalty ball and then selling the rights to those royalties to these investment firms. Right. And so you're talking You're not taking so, on an artist, you're taking yeah. on this. You're taking on a profit-hungry investment firm or a bunch of greedy heirs who didn't write mm, the song. And it. that changes the game. And you're seeing that more and more now as copyrights as the songs like the Marvin Gaye songs and everything get older and older and you're seeing more and more of not the original artist 
being the ones bringing these suits. What happened to standards? I, and I don't mean like our standards. I mean like standard <laughs> what, music. What has happened to standards? <laughs> no, but I mean like there was a time when we wrote songs and we wanted a hundred artists to play them. Like mm. you had artist after artist after artist play your song. Uh, what happened to that world and market where like it's mine? Ah. Well, I mean, <laughs> m- many of those are in the public domain, but like, I mean, look, friggin' Ariana Grande put out the song Seven Rings, right? Which was uh, a use of the melody um, from Sound of Music, My Favorite Things. Okay. Um, and many people assumed, oh, yeah, she put that song out because that's got to be in public domain by now. That song is a million years old. <laughs> and no, if you go to the copyright website and you look up the Seven Rings copyright, Rogers and Hammerstein are listed as co-writers in that because that copyright, if you can believe it, is still active and still has at least another uh, 20 or 30 years left on it. And I think so. that there's there's a respect and a um, acknowledgement of the people that you're choosing to use their work. Mm-hmm. And there is a um, a benefit to you as an artist to uh, get that kind of legitimacy to get the following of the Rodgers and Hammerstein fans because you're not just kind of stealing their stuff. You're saying, no, this is a nod to them. This is something that I'm respecting them for doing, and I'm bringing them in at the beginning level, which I think is great. Right on. All right. I'm going to take a quick break, compose myself, you know, try to, yes, yeah. deep breathing. Uh, what's it? The, the, the four, Ooh, seven, saw. seven, eight, one, four, eight, one breathing. I got to do that. Yeah. And now we're going to bring in Rena Segal, who I'm so excited to talk to. Uh, is going to have some great insight for us. That's coming up next. Do not go anywhere. Keep checking us out here on Break the Business. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody, on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitter Live, and Twitch, and on Sirius XM Channel 145. 
Wherever you're checking us out, we are happy to have you. Is that a dog barking? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Dogs interrupting radio shows and podcasts is a rich and wonderful tradition in our modern age, and I couldn't be happier about it. <laughs> But if that dog's going to keep barking, like, we're going to have to see that dog at some point, Lauren. I know, and that's the big one, too. The little one was so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> let's go ahead and bring on our guest this week. She is an L.A.-based entertainment lawyer and the principal attorney at Sagal Law PC, a firm that provides transactional legal services for entertainment industry professionals. Our guest was selected to the Super Lawyers Rising Stars list. For 2019, 2020, and 2021, and you can find out more about her work by visiting www.sagallawpc.com. We are thrilled to welcome Rena Sagal on to Break the Business. Hello, Rena. Hello, everyone. Oh, it's lovely to meet you, Lauren and, and Brian. Oh, lovely to meet you as well, Rena. Um, I am thrilled that you were just so engaging with everything that we were talking about in the first segment. I saw you laughing. I saw you making gestures. Clearly, this is something that you're passionate about as an entertainment lawyer. Well, let me ask you, what are your thoughts about this Taylor Swift thing? Music is a passion. Um, you know, I'm the Taylor Swift thing is, is that she's, she's a powerhouse. So she's she's always done a lot of um, major movements. We, we, this is going to alter, obviously everything that you said was accurate before. Um, everything is about money at the end of the day. Um, I don't think there was, um, a malicious intent to steal any music here, um, or any of that. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but I do feel that, uh, you're accurate, um, with every comment that you had. <laughs> I just wanted to to make my gestures that it's always funny when Lauren was making comments. It really is. It does come down to money. He likes feeding um, the ego there. Just keep telling him everything he says is great. <laughs> no, Brian's brilliant. Um, so are you, Lauren? You had the right questions. Um, but, but really, um, if you are an older musician and you're, you're seeing these new artists come up with content that is very similar to yours, unfortunately, we do this in film, too. You see, uh, you know, the same type of content being reproduced over and over again. And music has got to happen too. We can't come up with all original content all the time. Um, and I don't feel like they were that similar. This, this, this judge, um, uh, and you know, this judge uh, needs it to go to a jury trial, and that's what happened. Very similarly in the the you know um, the other previous cases that have been. Marvin Gaye and Robin Thicke case, it's it's going to happen again with this. Um, they'll probably settle outside of court. Let's just be honest. They you think will. it's going to settle? Yeah, it will. I mean, if you think about it, Ryan, not, and most of the cases do settle outside of court. Um, they they take it like even look at ScarJo Disney Plus case that happened recently. They all settle outside of court, even if it's for large amounts of money. They do settle. Uh, no one wants to take it full to jury trial because it. Most uh, jury individuals don't know what they're looking at, and it's very manipulative, as you guys were mentioning before, um, about your own opinion. You can't find somebody who doesn't have one view over Taylor Swift um, and the other person. Uh, it, what was the other? <laughs> you just you just don't. You you're... exactly exactly. You don't need to know who they are. That that is perfectly right. <laughs> 
Well, and that's the point is it's that it's not even about the case itself. You could say as a juror, you could say, you know what? Taylor doesn't need the money and these other people do. So I'm going to vote in favor of them. And it's got nothing to do with what's really going on. Yeah. You're, you're, you get favorable over just your own personal opinions, despite the facts. And as much as a, a judge may give you guidance um, on exactly what you need to be focusing on, a lot of times your personal opinion like we have Ryan here who would side with Taylor if she murdered somebody. That's right. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. <laughs> we, you, you really can't have a perfect jury. So usually uh, most litigation attorneys are very um, adamant about trying to settle outside of court. And, and that makes sense, yes. And they try to convince their client of that. Even if somebody's like, no, I'm standing up for what I believe in, you think the attorneys are going to say, yeah, that's nice, but... <laughs> Well, exactly. Or at least you're saying a good attorney, in theory, would advise that because it's likely in the artist's best interest. It is always in the okay. artist's best interest. Um, to honestly, you really don't want to have because um, everything is a matter of public record after you file. Mm -hmm. So you really don't want to have this out there. It, it gives you a negative image. Your PR team has to work against all of this bad image of press that's coming mm -hmm. out about you, and there's all this speculation that goes around discovery um, on the case. So we really try to, as lawyers, protect our clients, um, our artists. And we, we just don't want to get there to that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah me as a, as a layman, I'm like, no, but if I didn't do it, I'm going to prove I didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> and there's got to be a lot of us out there that are like, no, I'm standing up for what I believe in. Rita's but I guess like, that's oh, why you bring in- summer child. <laughs> That's why you bring professionals in and you have to trust those professionals that you bring in because you both know far more about the legal system than I do. Um, and so I would hope that I'd be smart enough to bring in a proper attorney if I got into that situation because obviously I would do the wrong thing. <laughs> well, we all are, you know, like as entertainment professionals or entertainment looking at that there is long-term consequences for us having these kind of um, lawsuits that come out. Um, there are potential deals that our clients lose that go outside the beyonds of just this lawsuit. Um, so every future contract that they may have may be canceled. Um, mm. And we, we are really focusing and working with their agents, their managers, their publicists to make sure that we shut this down as quickly as possible. Right. right okay, on. that makes sense. So I want to ask you, Rena, a lot of questions about what it is to be an entertainment lawyer and how indie creators like the ones who check out this program should be working with entertainment lawyers. But first, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about one other piece of legal news that has uh, got the L.A. and California entertainment lawyer circles talking. And I wanted, as a fellow California entertainment lawyer, to get your thoughts on one Kim Kardashian Passing the baby bar in the state of California. This is a first-year law student's examination that is uh, taken by uh, people who want to become lawyers in California without going to law school. You have to pass this baby bar exam first before you can sit for the California bar exam. And Kim Kardashian passed it, which means she's one step closer to becoming a California attorney without going to a day of law school. So what do you think of this? Okay, so I think this is kind of, it's wonderful, okay? I'm, I'm glad that she's trying to become a lawyer. Um, 
And, uh, you know, she really is uh, this motivation behind her. She's got a father who was obviously a fantastic attorney. So it's not to say that she doesn't have the intelligence there. It did take her four tries to get to pass the baby bar, which is only three subjects. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, oh, man. I mean, when she gets to the actual bar, it's 12 subjects. So can you... Uh, I, I mean, if it took her four tries to get there, I just hope she can do a lot of studying. In the That's meantime. a lot of determination, though. Like, once right. you've failed it a couple of times, there aren't many people who would keep trying. No, she's very motivated. And yeah. I, think, um, I mean, it's fantastic. I really hope that she ends up getting her dreams to come true about being a full-fledged lawyer. Um, but she's only got one year under her belt. And, uh, you know, being an apprentice under somebody doesn't necessarily teach you the law. So it really does require you studying on your own, um, which I would always encourage other people to go to law school, take the time <laughs> to actually learn the law. What? <laughs> That's crazy talk. Look, look, we're, all, look, we're all laughing about this, but let me be perfectly clear on something, Okay. I took the California bar exam, Rena. you took the California bar. And I can tell you as somebody who has very distinct memories of sobbing in an airport uh, Sacramento Marriott convention center in between like the lunch break administrations of this three day law exam. It was the most excruciating thing I've ever done. So make no mistake, if Kim Kardashian passes the California bar exam, she will have my unflinching respect. I will never laugh at her name again. I will have to say, Ryan, that I feel like it's gotten easier since the COVID um, situation that we all have to experience, and they're doing it digitally from a distance. I feel like people are cheating the system. Oh. That's my personal opinion. Cheating the legal system? <laughs> you went from 33% passage rate to a 53% passage rate over two years very quickly. Um, it just mm. it, um, a bit outrageous that it happened because people were taking the exams at home. So, I mean, if I was going to be one of those like hackers, I would be like right behind the computer is the person telling me the answers <laughs> while I was my roommate who's an actual california attorney you're just you're just envisioning like kim kardashian having like alan dershowitz no a like, whole team forget by... one person she's got a whole advisory like, team. all of oj's old defense team like standing just outside the view yeah she's, she's rich enough to have like the biggest law behind her while she's taking this exam i love no. Oh, oh, no. I, I In am all sure fairness, she would she likely have that same team. She's going to have that same team if she's a lawyer or when she's a That's lawyer. Right. So, you know, it's all about who you team up with, right? There's nothing wrong with that. She might be an amazing attorney because of the people behind her and the people educating her. So when I think I about Legally Blonde, oh. like as much as we laughed at her and Legally Blonde, like she had a different perspective. That's right. She came in to help people in a way that the traditional attorney at the time did not, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to like my movie references because yeah. movies are totally the way law is really done. 
So you're gonna you're gonna eat your words when Kim Kardashian's an associate justice on the Supreme Court in like four or five years and four or five years? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, she's probably gonna get herself up there in a minute. I'm <laughs> telling you. Yeah. Okay, so let's <laughs> Taylor Swift for you. <laughs> well, so let me talk to you a little bit about indie creators working with entertainment lawyers because one of the questions that I get most from indie creators when I when when concerning entertainment lawyers is how early do I bring one in? Because entertainment lawyers generally tend to cost money and you know, I want to find the right balance between not busting my budget, but bringing a lawyer in early enough to take care of the things that I need. Because oftentimes, if you wait too late to bring in an entertainment lawyer, you wind up putting yourself in a bad position and winding up paying for more expensive legal services later. What are your thoughts on that? So my suggestion for every artist is if you can, if you can't afford an entertainment lawyer um, that is fully licensed, go to a law school. A lot of times they're able to help you, but it's pertinent for you to understand every contract that you're entering into. Um, a lot of the lawsuits that you see that are all over the news, because they're transactionally based, it all comes down to the language that is in your contract. Um, so anytime you're signing an agreement, uh, whether it's your first deal or your hundredth movie that you've done, Really have somebody review it if you don't have a good grasp on the English language. And I hate to say it, a lot of us are very convoluted with the the language that we put into. Um, That's what I was going to say. Like, you guys, sorry, attorneys, no offense. But like, you intentionally make it complicated. Like, your goal is to trip someone up or something. Uh it's not that's that's not the goal. It's you know when they it's we just don't reinvent the wheel. And these a lot of these contracts have been around for a long time, um, and they've just been added to, modified, and um, you have to remember back in the olden days, lawyers used to get paid by the word. Mm. By the Ooh, word. Can we go back to that? Back to I that. didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> Um, yeah. So they they intentionally made things long and complicated. You guys are in the business of trying to pare it down and uh, talk Simpl- to us civilians, right? But the thing is, if you have a very simplified agreement that doesn't protect your artist either, it's not a good thing. Right. You know, like um, that's also results in lawsuits and uh, napkin deals where people just agree on a handshake and say this is going to happen always results in people just arguing and fighting and ruining a production or. Mm-hmm. And so paper is a good thing, but it can be a bad thing, too, if you don't follow what you agreed to. (laughs) Are are there any legal cases that you've seen in the news lately where you look at that case and you're just like, that's clearly a case where somebody didn't bring in a lawyer at the right time or, uh, you know, that lawyer clearly didn't know what they were doing and that artist got uh, kind of screwed in the process? I feel like um, the Bohemian Rhapsody case is kind of like that. The writer for Bohemian Rhapsody um, and the lawsuit against, um, uh, was it GK Films and uh, Fox and all of those individuals? I'm not familiar with this one. Tell me about it. So Bohemian Rhapsody, um, the original writer, um, basically, uh, he sued Fox, or sorry, GK Films, because he sold his project, optioned it off to them didn't have accounting rights it appears like in his in his contract so he couldn't Um, review the books right um, yeah he couldn't review the books and he was owed five percent back end points 
um, and those back end points never came in. This movie ended up, sorry, it was a very low budget film, ends up making $900 million. It sold from Fox to Disney. And, you know, there's just some issues going on here and it's all contractually based. Um, and basically uh, the, the distribution company, Fox, and G JK or GK Films didn't have consistent account and definition of what would be the uh, net profits and mm. their accounting rights across the board. So it's really uh, having a very good attorney, a production attorney on board uh, would help facilitate this kind of transfer. And, and it wasn't there. So yeah. lawsuits. And, and those profit deals with film contracts, I mean, it's not, I think you work in film more than I do, but from the in, in the film deals I have worked on where there's always a profit split on the back end of the deal, nobody is more skilled at making profits disappear in the books than some of these studios and production companies. Like, mm -hmm. a movie can be like a monster hit like Bohemian Rhapsody and have no budget like Bohemian Rhapsody, and they'll find a way to make that movie look unprofitable in the books. <laughs> always do and this is why you would want like very thorough accounting rights in your um your contract with them working as an artist in any which capacity so. look we had you know, craft services was expensive we sprung for the evian water it was sparkling you get no <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the difference right there yeah they're pretty much like uh, we had to flush the toilet five times so that's <laughs> us, <I> mean, <laughs> literally you know, there was napkins used. Those was $5 each. <laughs> so. Oh, man. It what reminds of me of the Lord of the Rings thing, which I have to look more into. But, like, that completely, the fight over money and percentage bankrupt the production company entirely. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the thing is, it's not uncommon, um, especially for indie filmmakers who are really mm. excited to get their project out into the public to enter into a distribution agreement or a sales agency agreement without reading every detailed term um, and without hiring an attorney. So if you've already created a project, even if it is a $10,000 project and you have the ability to distribute it or a $5,000 project, whatever you've done, a short or a student film, and it's going out there, be cautious of what you're signing. It's the most imperative thing that I would give any artist, indie producer. There's like the pro bono ones? ones or artists like helping companies too, right? If you can't afford a lawyer, there's organizations out there. There's a number of attorneys that do um, pro bono work every year. Um, but again, if you can't afford them, the law students are learning and they're guided by an attorney who is, you know, at the law schools. Um, and so you have the option of going that route. It's a great resource. Yeah. Law yeah. clinics are great. Uh, volunteer lawyers for the arts organizations yeah, okay. have some great pro bono services there. Um, let's talk a little bit more about some of these pitfalls. So you talked about uh, somebody assigning uh, rights to a film project without really making sure that the contract terms were solid enough to make sure they got their back end payments. What other sort of legal pitfalls do you see early career creators encountering i bet it's a lot of stuff in like the copyright space right losing copyrights licensing things like that um yes um giving exclusivity over uh in their option shopping purchasing deals that happens all the time people don't understand um you know the term of their provisions and um how that makes them 
uh, not be able to get their project out through any other route. Mm -hmm. So really being cognizant of that, knowing that um, technically they're not really giving up their copyrights in the option shopping um, deal. They're just giving a temporary out unless they give it in perpetuity. Mm. And so that's kind of language that people need to know. If, if it's in perpetuity, you've, you've already lost all your rights. Mm. Um, and also realizing that like chain of title matters. So technically, if you sell a property, um, you have to file either a short form or anything um, with the copyright office, knowing that you changed hands um, uh, on a film project, TV project, I believe, and theater as well, theater as well, but music as well. Um, you, you have to transfer hands and rights if you're going to give something over permanently, but people don't understand that. Um, and a lot of times, again, this comes back to the contracts. It's really pertinent to understand. Uh, copy, copyright is the most pertinent thing. Anything put in a tangible medium, you own it until you write away your rights. Well, and writing in who owns it, if you're teaming up with other people, uh, you know, figuring out what that means early on is probably super helpful. Well, yeah, it is. And mm -hmm. I think Rick does a good job about explaining that. <laughs> well, Rena, you've done a great job walking us through why it's important for artists to find or to get an entertainment lawyer. Let's talk about picking the right one. I think uh, mm -hmm. when a lot of early career artists are in need of legal services. I see far too many of them going, well, let me just find the first person I can like wave my arms and hit when I swing my arms around who has a JD degree. And sometimes it's like your uncle Doug who does some real estate law. Traffic law. Yeah. yeah and there's nothing <laughs> wrong with your uncle Doug. He's, I'm sure he's a very bright man, but you really got to make sure you find somebody that's got a real background in entertainment, specifically in the forms of media that you're operating in. Can you provide some advice on finding the right entertainment lawyer? Like what should art, what questions should artists be asking? Well, I think you should ask about the background. What have they done? Um, what has the, the lawyer completed uh, their experience? I mean, everyone can just say like a real estate attorney could come in and just be like, I'm a music attorney, <laughs> but um, you want to see exactly what they've done and completed. And, um, also, you would like to look at how comfortable do you feel with them? Because it, you literally have to spend time with this attorney and you have to be able to talk to them. A lot of times people, there's some attorneys that are stuffy and, <laughs> I, you know, and entertainers tend to Come not on. be right. Like, well, the legal profession in general has a has a kind of persona that is stereotyped and like the arts industry is very different artists are a different breed they are a different breed and so you really want to be able to have a good conversation um with whoever is representing you um just because the honesty needs to be there in order for an attorney to adequately represent you you have to be able to be completely honest with them and so you know Joking around with them, doing anything like that makes it easier. Um, uh, and then I would always question, you know, I do not say that education matters. Just make sure that they're actually licensed. <laughs> okay. Uh, there, there are fakes out there. <laughs> so I would strongly recommend take your time. <laughs> Don't see if they've been sued 50 times, been suspended, licensed. 
it's always available on their state site. Where do you search that? Like, is that a Google thing? Like, do, 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 or is there like a proper searching database? So each state usually has a state bar site. Okay. So you can go to those state bar sites um, and you can make sure you ask for the bar number from your attorney and they should willingly give it to you so that you can look online. If they don't, they might not. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you want that? <laughs> You're sure asking a lot of personal questions. <laughs> but mostly right. it's about a matter of comfort. You really yep. need to. You really got to make sure you, you vibe with your lawyer as these, uh, as the Gen Z kids on TikTok say these days, that really matters. But I'll tell you, like, you seem like somebody that's really fun to just talk to because we've had a great time chatting with you. You get the show, which I love. Many entertainment lawyers don't. They take this entirely too seriously, and that creates all sorts of problems. But not you, Rena. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting SeagalLawPC.com. That's S-E-H-G-A-L-L-A-W-P-C.com. Rena, this has been awesome. Before we let you go, I got one last question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Um, if you really want to move your career forward, Reach out to SegalawPC.com. <laughs> what a that is the mouth. best answer we have ever had. I kind of love that. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. And she obviously is going to be one you. of those entertainment lawyers that you have fun talking to and you just vibe with because, you know, I love it that matters. answer. Like, I'm the best of the best. Come on, guys. Like, I mean, you and I, Rena, we've been around enough entertainment lawyers to know that most of them don't pass the vibe check. Like, <laughs> the vibe you are going to share giggles with them, but uh, clearly they will with you and you know your stuff, and we appreciate you sharing some of that knowledge with us this week. Yeah, I'm glad. Thank you was... so much, Rena. All right. That's awesome. You're Take awesome, care. too. Take care. Oh, she gets the show, Lauren. Oh, my gosh. That was so much fun. <laughs> I, I didn't know, like, I have to search for bar number on my uh, checklist, and now I need to check my vibes. And uh, that's right. I wish, yeah, like, a I whole wish list the for California my State now. Bar had a vibe check as, like, one of the things <gasps> you could look at. Because you can get their disciplinary history, but, like, I want to know, can I chill with this person? Because that is important in an entertainment lawyer. But, like, for entertainment attorneys, that's not a separate bar, right? Like, you're a generic attorney, right? And then right. you decide your specialty. There isn't, like, a, a special exam for entertainment attorneys. Like, I think real estate attorneys have to learn specific real estate stuff. Not necessarily. There, there are some states that offer like specialties where you can, you know, take some exams and stuff and say that you're like board certified, certified or certified right. in that subject. I don't know about too many states that do that in entertainment law. So, right. A lot of people can just a lot of lawyers can just become an entertainment lawyer by waking up one day and say, I'm an entertainment lawyer now. I want to work in that industry. They That's seem right. like fun. That seems yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's such a weird, highly technical, often very complicated industry. And the it's super laws, specialized. Yeah, and and it's very industry specific. A lot of the rules that lawyers are applying aren't necessarily written in a statute or even in a regulation. There are a lot of industry norms, courses of dealings, usages of trade that find their way into these contracts, and an experienced entertainment lawyer is the one that's going to find them for you. But uh, and and by the way, like you 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 can always feel pretty comfortable with a California licensed attorney because I'm telling you. The that California bar. bar exam, so hard. And 
if Kim Kardashian passes it, I don't care if it's online. I don't care if she had to go to the the uh, the the same like smelly Sacramento Marriott that I had to go to to take this thing. I don't care how she passes this thing. If she gets through that excruciating hell of a bar exam, she will have my unflinching respect. I'm telling you, I was sobbing in a Marriott bathroom, like in between the morning and afternoon sessions of this exam. And and mind you, I'd already passed two bar exams before I took this exam. So I was walking into the California exam like, oh, I can do this. No problem. Did Florida, did New York. This is just another notch on my belt. And like, damn thing nearly killed me. That test is hard. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that, uh, for for all those reasons, I'm telling you, if she passes this bar exam, like I will, I will celebrate her. Like we were, we were laughing yeah. and we were having some good times talking about Kim Kardashian. I will never laugh anywhere near Kim Kardashian's name again if I pass this exam. She will have my respect. Let me tell you. And she will have earned it. And she will have definitely earned it. And she probably will have passed that exam without crying in a uh, in a <laughs> bathroom of a Sacramento Marriott. Especially because, like, you know, her face always looks perfect and everything. There's no way, like, you're ever going to see running mascara on Kim Kardashian's face. Mm-hmm. So She knows how to put herself together, which mm-hmm. is important for an artist. Oh, my God. When she passed the baby bar exam, she had this, like, I passed the baby bar photo shoot. Yes! All these beautiful pictures that. and shots. Like, it was, I mean, just, oh, my God. Which is, because, like. Right if I after... passed baby bar, I would totally do a photo shoot afterward. Well, yeah, you would only be the second person to have done that because <laughs> Kim K beat you to it. Uh, our thanks to Rena Segal for joining us. My thanks to you, Lauren, for joining us as well. We got one more show this year. Next week is our last show for the year, and then we will join you in 2022. Uh, great guest coming up next week. One of my favorite people, Kevin Bruner, vice president over at CD Baby. He's been on the show a bunch of times, and we have a lot of fun every time he shows up. He's going to talk to us about music distribution. Don't go anywhere. Check us out next week. Lauren, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Have a good day.